Matthew um, chapter 27 this morning. And as I am um, just been sitting here and listening to the words, to the songs, um, something that's very unique is taking place. You're making choices this morning. It's a fact. Jesus is alive. But what the opportunity will be is what will you do with the fact that Jesus is alive? Will you in your nicely dressed Easter Sunday morning gathering have enough humility to come to him and say, okay, wait a second, the world has gone about this, we've got all this happening, but will you say he's alive? Will you choose this morning to say, not only yes, I believe in that, but will you choose to say, I'm going to walk like that. I'm going to go in that direction. It was interesting this week as I was looking back about, just thinking about history, and I'm not really a big history buff, but I was just thinking, you know, facts and truth. And I was remembering back to September the 11th. Um, did it? Well, no, there we go. Do you realize that September the 11th happened 17 years ago where the terrorist attack? It's already been 17 years. I remember where I was that day. And so as I think back about it, and that's always going to go down as a fact. That will always be in the history of the United States of America that September the 11th was the day that, that, that America was attacked. But as I think about it, who will be thinking about it 20 years from now? Who will come along 25 years from now and say, oh, that really didn't happen? Yeah, it did. There's documentation. There's 3,000 people that lost their lives. There was over six thousand people that were injured. Another thing I thought as I was sitting in the office just thinking, how can I bring history alive to you as we really going to go back and look at history of the Word of God and say it's true? I was thinking about as my grandpa, I have Grandpa Patterson and Grandpa Hanny, and uh, my Grandpa Patterson chose to invest in our lives when we were young. And he had this old Chevy pickup truck. And so what he thought it would be best for us to do is he thought when we were young people, it would be best for us to learn how to work. So he said he went out and bought Toro self-propelled mowers, and he had like 25 yards that we mowed with Toro self-propelled mowers. But what happened was is there were times that his tailgate didn't stay closed. And so my brother was sitting in the back of this old pickup truck, and my grandpa goes over Highway 27, and out goes my little brother. Boom. And so it brought back a whole fond memories of old trucks and old cars and life lessons, and I'm sure that none of you rode to, to church this morning in this old car, but it's a fact. It's history. That's where it started. And then I had a, another, my grandpa Haney, I remember as a little, little boy, going over to his house, and I'll remember my other cousin, Stan. Stan was like six foot three, but we were just little then. So he was way bigger than I when we were little kids. We were going out to Grandpa Haney's uh, or his little area, and he had a tractor. And Stanley was running, and I was behind him, and Stanley fell, and he landed on a corn stalk, and he had to go have stitches. But I never have forgotten the fact of love of tractors from my Grandpa Haney. Now, that's not my Grandpa Haney, but I was just going back in history. You reminded myself that's what, you know, a tractor looked like or where it started from compared to now where you spend 
hundred thousand dollars to have an ice tractor. Then I want to take you to the history of the Word of God. And I want to take you to two individuals. And I'm going to start with you in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27. And I'm going to start you with a guy by the name of Joseph. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, pick it up in verse 57. So Matthew 27, 57. His name is Joseph. And you read these words about Joseph. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in uh, clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own tomb, where he had cut out of the rock. What's interesting is I've been thinking about Joseph of Arimathea, not that he was a rich man, not that he was from Arimathea, but these words, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. I think you really need to spend some time thinking about those words. Maybe you need to highlight those words in your Bible. Because as I look at Matthew chapter 27, 57 through 60, I see an individual by the name of Joseph who made a choice. And his choice had to do with Jesus. Now when you and I gather this morning and we start talking about disciple, it's not really important, does it? Just jump off the page to us. But Joseph of Arimathea was not just a churchgoer. He was not just somebody that said that he loved Jesus. He made this, Matthew makes this very clear. Joseph of Arimathea became, he made a choice to become what? A disciple. What is a disciple? Somebody that is going to follow what Jesus' words are. It's not somebody, it's very clear. We need to read this very clearly. It's not somebody that shows up in church and says, yep, Jesus, I love you. There are millions of people around the world that are going to say, yep, Jesus, I love you, and they're going to go right through the Easter weekend, and they're not calling themselves a disciple. They're not following Jesus. They've got caught up in the moment. Oh, this is tradition. This is what we do. Not Joseph of Arimathea. He made a choice about Jesus Christ, and he became willing to follow him. His words. What Jesus said was right. What Jesus said was wrong. What Jesus said was true. Joseph of Arimathea was going to allow this Jesus to have impact into his life. To be the one that would, as we read earlier, the one that would instruct Joseph of Arimathea how to live his life. That is very important. Because most of you sitting in this building Because of Adam and Eve, you do not like instruction. You don't welcome people coming alongside of you. I think this is probably really what you should do. You don't like those things. You don't like to be told what to do. Ask your family, ask your spouse, ask your neighbor, ask your boss. Okay. You don't want to be told what to do. And so this morning as we've gathered around God's word, don't go too fast through this opportunity that we're going to say, yeah, Jesus is alive. But look at two individuals, starting with Joseph of Arimathea, made a choice to become a disciple of Jesus. I want you to see something else about Joseph of Arimathea. Take your Bible and go to Mark. Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, 42. A little more information about Joseph of Arimathea. 
It was a preparation day, that is, the day before the Sanhedrin, or the Sabbath, sorry. So as evening approached, Joseph, a member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate. Joseph of Arimathea is part of the council. I'll show you something in the next passage of Scripture. What's interesting about Joseph of Arimathea? He was looking for the Messiah. He was walking around, asking questions, looking at Old Testament truth. Where is the Messiah? He wanted the kingdom of God to show up. That's Joseph of Arimathea. Another one I want you to see uh, is in Luke 23. So take your Bible, go to Luke 23. Luke 23, pick it up in verse 50. Luke 23, uh, 50. Another, some more information about Joseph of Arimathea. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man. So not only is he waiting for the, this Messiah, not only is he wealthy, not only is he a disciple, there's more to Joseph of Arimathea. He's a good and upright man. Verse 51 who had not consented to their decisions and actions. He was not willing. He was not one of the individuals that were voting to crucify Christ. He was a member of the council that wanted to make sure that Christ died, but Joseph of Arimathea was not voting for that. The last part I want you to look at is in John uh, chapter 19. John 19. Last part of Joseph of Arimathea, and then I'm going to introduce another person to you out of John chapter 19. John 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph, here we go again, was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. While Pilate, with, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes at about 75, that were about, weighed about 75 pounds. Taking them, Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At that place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in, and in the garden a tomb, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was a Jewish preparation day, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Nicodemus is the next person. And so as I'm going, I'm taking you back, and I want you to see two men that were there. But what's interesting is you're going to see a transformation in both men's life. You're going to see an opportunity in both men's life to step outside of their comfort zone and call him not just call him Savior, not just go and sing songs about him. They were going to demonstrate their love for this Jesus publicly. Knowing when they stepped out publicly that those guys in the ruling council, that they had power, that was all gone. They had recognition, it was all gone. They had wealth, it was going to be set aside. They didn't matter to them. And so on the day where they have opportunity to step forward, they take the dead body of Jesus, and they wrap it. Nicodemus brings some myrrh and spices, 75 pounds worth. So not only did they wrap the body, Nicodemus brought financial means to the table where he brought the myrrh and he brought the spices. Now there's something interesting about Nicodemus. Take your Bible and go back to John chapter 3. 
I want you to see this. I want, to, I want you to see where Nicodemus was in John chapter 3, and I want to see what, what took place in Nicodemus' life in, in, uh, in John chapter 19. So where was Nicodemus? Well, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus when? At night. He didn't want to be identified with Jesus. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. How do they know that? No one, for no one can perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with them. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was different. The miracle power of Jesus set him apart from everybody. The Jewish people should have said, yep, he's our Messiah. Nicodemus is afraid, so he shows up at night. Interesting question or interesting comment that Jesus makes in verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus' jaw drops to the floor. He has totally rocked Nicodemus' world. And so Nicodemus is going to stammer and stutter and ask some really crazy questions, but I want you to go all the way down. uh, Pick it up now in verse 13 of John chapter 3. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Belief in Nicodemus' world was not something that he was interested in. They were interested in the law. They were interested, do this, do this, do this. That equals righteousness. Jesus said, hey, Nicodemus, let me tell you something. You want to be born again? You want to know truth? You want to spend heaven, eternity in heaven? You have to be born again. Nicodemus, I'm going to take you to an Old Testament passage that you know. Nicodemus, I'm going to remind you of Moses. I'm going to remind you when the nation of Israel is out in the wilderness and they're complaining against their God, and God says, hey, fine, you want to complain? I'll send the snakes. And so what happened was, if you're not familiar with it, the snakes came. They were bitten by the snakes, and they died. Moses cried out to God, God, would you do something for our people? We realize that we're wrong. Yeah, I will. But Moses, it's going to have to do with believing. And so Moses, go ahead and make this snake and this bronze serpent, and put it up high. And whoever gets bitten, if they have the courage and the faith to look there, they'll be healed. It's interesting. You celebrate Easter weekend. It's an opportunity to say, hey, look over here and live. You want life? It comes in Jesus. You want hope? It's only found in the cross. You want peace of soul and heart? It only comes one place, through the cross. What are you looking at this weekend? What are you choosing to be, your quote-unquote, your Savior? What is your Messiah? Oh, you can sing the songs, and I think we need to. Have you sat down this week at all and thought about that he died on the cross on Friday for you, for your sin? For my sake. Have you thought about that? If you were the only one that would have been alive in those 33 years of ministry, he would have come and preached to you. And you've been willing to die. 
He's been lifted up this weekend, not for your neighbor, not for your children, not for your grandchildren, but for your sin. He died for you. And so just as Nicodemus has to realize this, and now, I mean, if you, if you go back forward in John chapter 19, Nicodemus has figured it out. Nicodemus is willing to come and take the body. Nicodemus is willing to bring the spices. Nicodemus is saying, hey, I'm all in. Hey, all you buddies are sitting over there that you said crucify him. I'm here now. I'll wrap the body. His body's gone. I'll make sure that we take care of it. I'll pay for it. So he all in identifies. The next thing that I want you to see is the upper room. I want you to see where the disciples were sitting. I want you to see in in, um, John chapter 20, pick it up in verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, when the door, with the doors locked because of the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It's nighttime. The disciples have watched their Savior die. I'm not sure we can speculate why they ended up back in this upper room. I was listening to Pastor Andy this morning. Maybe some of them had heard that Jesus is alive, and so maybe we need to go have a meeting to verify this. I don't know why they're in the upper room. All I know is the Word of God, it says they're there. The first night, and they're there in fear. They're afraid of the Jews. And then somebody shows up. I don't know what it was like for him to say these words, but he steps into a locker room with a bunch of scared individuals, and he said, peace be with you. And I don't know if this is a flashing word picture for you or what, but if if you have Jesus, you have peace. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have peace. And it doesn't matter where you are or what you face. So this morning you're here, and the tomb is empty. That's a fact. And we can stop and look at two guys by the name of Joseph and one in Nicodemus, and it's all facts, guys. It's not some made-up, hocus-pocus story. Two men's lives were radically changed. They showed up at the cross. They took the dead and broken body, and they wrapped it off in the side, and they laid it in a tomb. But guess what? Three days later, he stepped back out of that tomb, and he says to you this morning, peace be with you. He's alive. And what's interesting is, as you, you read this, this John passage, I love what, what happens next. You, you go on a little bit farther, go a little bit later, go to John chapter 19, or John chapter 20, verse um, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out and put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And I love Thomas's response. Thomas said to him, not Jesus, I love you. I'm not Jesus, I'm thankful for you. Oh, Jesus, this is, you, you really make me feel good. I really like you, Jesus. That's not what he said. He said, my Lord and my God. All right, I believe you're in charge. It's not about me anymore. 
And aren't you glad that Thomas asked the questions? And aren't you glad Thomas doubted? Because then you read these words. Then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You're blessed today if you believe. You get an extra blessing because you haven't seen the risen Christ. But I know that when you start talking about my Lord and my God and blessed are those who become second, we don't like those things. Blessed are the ones that say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. Blessed are the ones in their brokenness to say, okay, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I don't know if you've thought about this week, but the tomb is empty and it demonstrates incredible power. We have life now because he conquered death. But we just don't have life this weekend. We have life tomorrow because he's alive. So now you have hope. You have power inside of you to make different decisions because the power of Christ lives inside of you. But will you receive that power? Will you allow that power to become part of who you are inside of you? To fill all the brokenness that's inside of you? To fill the emptiness that's inside of you? You know what's amazing? He doesn't make you do this. He waits to hear your voice say, I give you permission to work in my life. He knows you're all broken. He knows all of us sitting in this room have issues. And he knows he has the power to make you whole, but will you allow him to do it? You know, as you keep on thinking through Scripture, you can go to Acts chapter I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, 500 witnesses saw him at one time. And so really, as you think through this, what are you celebrating this weekend? Individually, I know what I'm celebrating. You know, as I look through Scripture, I see Joseph, I see Nicodemus, I see the upper room, I see men that were scared cats. I mean, that's like they were wimps turned into warriors. Their lives were radically different. I'm reading an eyewitness account of John. Oh, yeah, it's written later. But John, as you go through First John, he says, hey, I believe. I've seen him. I've touched him. I walked with him. I saw the miracles. I believe. What do you believe? What do you celebrate? As I was thinking about this empty tomb and he's alive, my heart was drawn to Acts chapter 1. And you read these words in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. After he said this, and so you get, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Jesus has been on the earth, you know, appeared to them for 40 days, and now he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. Pick it up in verse 9. And he said this. As he said this, he was taken up before them in their very eyes. And the cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently into the skies as, the going, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So are you ready? Are you ready for him to come back? 
You know what's interesting is we, when we go away on vacation or we, go, or we know somebody's going to come over to our house, it's like we get this thing that you have to reorganize everything. That your house, I don't know what, like when we go on vacation, I just want to go out the door and go. But I have these marching orders behind me. It has to be organized and clean before we go. Why? We're going on vacation. Why does it have to be clean? Now, our house never looks like this. Okay, um, but we prepare to go away to come back to something clean. I don't understand that. I just want to get out of town, okay? Or if we, if we get word you're coming to our house, we reorganize. And so I'm sitting there thinking in my office today, why are we doing all this work? We, it looks like we don't even live there. I mean, we make sure everything is just right, like you're coming to a hotel. It's my house. I live here. I eat popcorn on the couch. If it's on the floor, no big deal. I just eat popcorn. You know, what's the problem? And so we will do what we do, you know, to get ready for somebody to come over, or we're going to go somewhere. we got to be ready to go somewhere. But I started to think, Acts 1-9, am I ready for him to come back? Are you ready? Because he's alive. And the scripture says just the same way that they saw them in Acts chapter 1. Just as they went away, guess what? He's coming back. And I don't know when. But you better be ready. And I'm not saying you might make sure you're doing everything right. That doesn't make you ready. You better be ready biblically. John is very clear. As you think about being ready, you look, you're still in John, so look at John chapter 20, 30 and 31. He says this, Jesus did many more miracles, other miracles, in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in whose name? Your name, your strength, your power, your 403, Your abilities? No. Your accomplishments? No. There's only power in one name. His name is Jesus, the risen Christ. You better be prepared. You better know when the trumpet blows what you've done with Jesus. And then if you go, um, one of my favorite ones is 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is a testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is what? In His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know you have eternal life this morning? Oh, the tomb's empty. There's lots of celebration. I hope you got chocolate. I hope you got a new outfit. I hope you got whatever you wanted from this earth. But it don't mean a hill of beans, because the tomb is empty, and you better be ready. Because he's coming back. And he's not going to come back when you, when you want him or when you got everything right. And he's probably going to come back when you're messing up. Because we sin pretty naturally. So don't think if you're going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to have it right. I'm going to be sitting in my house. I'm going to be praying, reading my Bible. I'm going to be doing the right thing for once. Come back now. Let's go. Boom. No. See, so it's not about your works. It's not about you. It's about do you have life in his name. And there's only one name that gives life. The one who died for you, and three days later he rose again. 
can you face tomorrow? I can face tomorrow because I know his name. I know who holds the future. And it's not me. I have hope this morning. It's not in my abilities. It's not in our family. It's because my Savior's alive. I have peace this morning. It was a long time ago. As a little boy, I made a choice to say, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. And now as a 46-year-old adult, I make that same decision this morning. I believe in you, Jesus. I say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing your, your beard to be ripped out for me. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing them to spit on you. Thank you, Jesus, as the, as the whip went back and came forward. You didn't walk away. You stood there. He stood there. He chose to stand there. He gave up his spirit. He knew that the only way that we could get God to be our father was for him to die for us. And he said to his father, not my will, but yours be done. First Peter, you read these words. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. Where does our new birth from a living hope come from? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Who though faith and shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. In this, you greatly rejoice, knowing that in a little while, you have to suffer some grief and all kinds of trials. These have come to test your faith. These have come to grow you up. These have come to develop spiritual muscle in your life. That's why they're there. Trials for you to keep coming back to them and say, you're my God. It's brief. It's light. It's temporary. These have come so that your faith of great worth, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove genuine and may result in the praise and the glory and the honor when you see Jesus, when he's revealed to you. The tomb is empty, so will you allow the risen Jesus to fill the emptiness in your life? Will you let him do it? The worship team's going to come. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to have a couple songs as we leave this time. So, Father, I thank you that we could gather as a family today around your word. So what are you celebrating? The tomb's empty. Jesus is alive. He died for you. Do you believe that? Simple yes or no question. You have Jesus, you have life. Do you love him? I think your love will be demonstrated in how much you're willing to follow him. Anybody can say they love Jesus. But Joseph of Arimathea made a choice to become a disciple, become a follower. Nicodemus started out in the night and ended in John 19 in the light. Saying, hey, I believe in this Jesus. 
Maybe you're discouraged this morning. Maybe you really need to let the resurrection power get a hold of your life. I don't know what you need to do this morning. But I know a Savior that wants to help you. And I know you don't like to ask for help. So as a friend, I would encourage you to humble yourself. And say, Jesus, I need you today. I'm praying for you men that we would start, that would start with us. I know it doesn't come natural, but our women would see us saying, you know what? I need Jesus' help today. Moms, I'm praying for you too. God, would you raise a generation of men and women that care more about the obedience to your word than the things of this world. May we know your peace because we know the truth of who you are. Father, thank you for allowing us to worship. Thank you, Jesus, for dying. Thank you, God, for having the power to raise him back to life again. We have hope this morning. In your name I pray. Amen.